Are you sure that I'm the one that gave them to you? Well, you're the only person I've been with for the last three years, so... You haven't, you haven't slept with anybody in three years? So anyway, um, I think that going forward, from now on, we should use protection. Is that what you think? What, like a dental dam? Yeah, why not? Have you seen those things? Well, I just really think that you should go get tested. All right, all right, I'll, I'll go get tested. I just, I don't think lesbians get STDs. Hey guys, we are back here yet again with another episode of Period Sis brought to you by the official box owner. I'm your host, Mandy B, and we have yet another conversation that I'm super excited to talk about today because we have a professional in the building. Yes, I know a lot of times I'm joined by women and their simple tales where yet we can't really explain everything, but we are joined today with a women's health nurse practitioner and she is coming to drop all the facts baby nope i don't have to google it she's here to tell it to us so it is yet another tale of womanhood for women by women and hi guys we are joined today with Alyssa, who is one half of the vagine queens and also a health nurse nurse practitioner here in the newark area in new jersey i do want to say did i say that right Health nurse practitioner, women's nurse uh, practitioner. I, I'm not even nurse. women's health nurse practitioner. Listen, yeah. the practitioner part is just a long word and throws me <laughs> off. Y'all know I'm not really good with big words, and I feel like Alyssa is gonna bring some pretty big words here today. Um, so hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for finally joining me. Hi, how are you? Nice to be I, here. I am well. I'm so excited. Y'all don't even know the technical difficulties to get Alyssa on. So I'm going to make sure I ask her all of the questions. Um, but Alyssa, before we get into, um, the, the, the real rut of it all, let's start off with your own personal journey and kind of what led you, um, down your career path. So can we start maybe with you being a teenager or, or in college or, or what again really was the was the nail in the coffin to be like I want to I want to get into the healthcare system okay so I think it started as a teenager just growing up and feeling like I had a lot of help coming from nurses coming from people that saw me as a a teen maybe that needed education in terms of sex um, in terms of relationships they were kind to me when I needed them more so than family uh, some people have family to go to, and for me, that really w- wasn't so much the case. So I was really thankful that I met people like that, and I just wanted to give it back, basically. I felt like I wanted to do the same thing for teens, young women, women in general. I feel like women need education when it comes to their body. We don't get sex ed in school anymore. Those things are really important. And without that, you know, you can end up lost, and, and that's when you kind of end up getting into trouble so I think I'm just turning it around giving it back what I feel like I've been given now Alyssa a lot of a lot of us specifically women of color black women specifically um don't find trust in the healthcare system often so I'm curious as to how you received wonderful nurses early on why was it that you were going to the doctor or the clinic what led you to find these relationships and nurses so i mean i was sexually active as a teenager and basically the nurses that i can say that i was uh connecting with they were black and i feel like they saw me they understood they wanted to help guide me um so 
I could definitely understand that women do not trust all providers, all physicians, things like that. So I try to make sure that I am open with them. They feel like they can talk to me. They don't have to feel embarrassed. You know, I tell them all the time, nothing's going to surprise me. So just hit me with what you have and then we'll figure it out after that. Now, you were sexually active young, so you felt safer expressing what you were experiencing with your body with nurses and not your your mom or your sisters or your friends. Like, what was that relationship like early on? So friends, yes, we were like the blind leading the blind, if you will. So, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this. Well, don't do that, girl. Because so um, and in terms of family, my mother and I, I come from a Caribbean household, so it wasn't very much talked about. It wasn't really open. And I understand that's for many reasons, probably from their past and their history. But so at a point, it was kind of just figuring out with cousins, figuring out with friends. And again, though that was when I met, like I said, the nurses that were helpful and able to talk to me and kind of pull so me crazy. together. It, you're you're so right. Like I feel like in terms of sex growing up, and for the listeners, I don't know how many of you have had a closer relationship or conversation regarding sex with your mothers or fathers, but I feel like our parents, for the most part, me and all of my friends, they knew we were having sex when something bad happened. So right. either we had to come to them and be like, "Mom." Here's a positive pregnancy test. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. What do we do? Or we realized something wasn't happening uh, down there, right? Or there was an itch or mm -hmm. a stench, which really right. wasn't a yeast infection. It was actually STD. Right. And so mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's the only time parents that I know growing up with my friends even knew their children were even having sex. Right. And it's not and, good because by that time, right. it's like, you're already like far gone. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to remedy this. So it's better right. to prevent it. Yeah. So let's talk about um, your career path and, and what exactly you do um, and how you got there. Um, so I started as a registered nurse in a hospital back in like 2008. Okay. And I worked on the floor. It was just a regular medical floor. But I kind of decided I wanted to specialize. I wanted to go into women's health, somehow working with women, pregnancy, GYN things, babies, newborns. So I ended up going to mother baby in a hospital, which is basically postpartum and the newborn nursery. So okay. teaching new moms how to breastfeed, all those things during this, you know, happy time. And people need a lot of education, especially first time mothers and fathers. So I really like the education piece of that helping people feel comfortable with their baby, T teaching them it's not some foreign animal, you can do this, all of that. So that that was really, I like to uplift them when it comes to that. Um, and, and as I did that, I went back to school for the master's for the women's health um, degree as a nurse practitioner. So since doing that, I've worked a lot in urban areas with underprivileged communities, women of color, doing mostly OBGYN things. I love that uh, you do like the post-pregnancy. I'm not going to mm -hmm. lie. So my best friend Carla just had a baby uh, earlier okay. this year. I didn't know that they literally taught you how to breastfeed. I yes. didn't know that that was a whole part of after you have a baby, you see mm -hmm. nurses for, I guess, postpartum. What yes. other things um, 
for maybe those of us like myself who've never had a baby or maybe mm-hmm. someone listening that may be pregnant, what are some of the things that women are most surprised by that is offered by the hospitals or by nurses postpartum? Um, so definitely the breastfeeding help um, most times is needed, especially first time moms. You think is something that just happens instinctively. The baby kind of knows what to do. They'll open their mouth and go for it. But for you, <laughs> you have to learn positions. How do I hold the baby? How often do I feed the baby? What do the diapers look like? How do I change a diaper? How, how is a poo diaper different than a pee diaper? Like it's a lot of stuff. Just the wow. pain after um, bleeding after delivery because you will bleed. If you have a C-section versus a vaginal delivery, what are the differences in that? So it's just a wealth of information. And again, it's easy to, you know, tailor it to the family. You can see people that need more help than others, people that maybe have the hang of this because this is their third kid. They're like, I'm ready to go home tomorrow. Those are always fun. But um, it's a lot of education, postpartum, a lot. So speaking of women's health and education, that's kind of the conversation that I'm so excited to have with you today, Um, Mm -hmm. especially because there's a lot of things that we think we know. I know right before production, uh, I mentioned pap smears and or calling it the yearly, which is what which is what women call it. However, you uh, put me onto a gym that I'm kind of just recently heard. But Mm -hmm. what we call a yearly actually doesn't need to be done yearly correct can we talk about can we talk about the process of the pap smear how often we should get it and kind of the questions that we should ask and the things that we shouldn't keep from our doctors fully loaded but let's start first with the pap smear what it is and how often we should get it so the pap smear is actually a test and it is a test done to check for abnormal cells on the cervix so cells that are abnormal can lead to cervical cancer. Mm. Um, So this is what the pap smear is doing. We scrape or rub off, if you will. It it actually doesn't hurt, but we take the cells off and it's sent to the lab just to check if they're normal, you're good. If they're abnormal, there are lots of different categories of that. So without confusing it, your doctor will tell you, your cells are abnormal, you need to repeat this in one year. Or your cells are abnormal, we need to do further testing, Mm. right? So, but if your cells are normal, you do the pap every three years, which is a new recommendation. Now, the speculum that we use when we do the pap smear is just a tool. It doesn't mean that every time you use the speculum, you're getting a pap smear. The speculum, which is the clamp, which is what people call it sometimes. (laughs) Someone has called it a shoehorn before. This is what... (laughs) Oh, the, the thing so, that stretches shoes, right? Yes. All, yes, yes. So the, the speculum is just used to open the vagina so we can see inside and get a good view of your cervix. We can use that to just look. We don't have to do a pap smear. We can use it to do an STD test. So it's just a tool. What else outside of checking for uh, normal or abnormal cells, is there anything else performed in a pap smear? I don't know why I assumed the yearly to include so much more. Is it literally just checking for cancerous cells or is there really more to it? So it can also check for um, chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomonas in that specific test. But typically in a yearly exam, women will have their breast examined They'll be asked, you know, certain questions. Has anything changed since your last visit? Do you have any concerns? 
Do you want blood tests for STDs, which would be like for HIV, for syphilis, um, things like that. So you should still see your doctor every year just to be, you know, caught up on everything and make sure you're up to date. However, you don't necessarily need a pap test every single year. Mm. So let's get into that. When you see your doctor, it could be quarterly. It could be yearly, like you said, or every three years. Mm -hmm. They do ask quite a bit of questions that seem very personal Mm -hmm. that I know a lot of women don't like to admit. I know one of the ones that are often asked, especially me being a sexually liberated woman, is how Mm -hmm. many sexual partners you have. How often are you having unprotected sex? Um, Do you deal with men and women? Do you smoke weed? Do you drink? Now, a lot of women may feel shame or embarrassment from some of these questions. Which questions do you feel are the ones that we should be most honest with our doctors about? And what questions should we be asking? So, yeah, all those questions you had about <laughs> Pat, like... <laughs> I, do, I go to the doctor a lot. <laughs> yes, yes, I can see. That's good. Um, now, you can go to the doctor as often as you want. You have a new sexual partner. You're using, not using anything. You're having unprotected sex. You want to be sure that everything's okay. You can go then, like, if it ends up being every three months. If you don't have to go every three months, it's only yearly. That's fine, too. They do ask these questions because it's important to know. The more... Um, partners you have unprotected sex with, obviously the chances and the risk of contracting any form of infection go up. Um, HPV, which is the virus that there's no medicine for, it typically goes away on its own, but most people have been infected with HPV. So, And HPV is what and does what? Human papillomavirus. And what does that do to a woman? Like, what, what are the effects? It's the virus that can lead to cervical cancer. Mm. So typically, most people will clear it on their own. They get rid of it. The body just gets rid of it. You don't need medication. However, if it stays around in the body for years, you can end up developing the abnormal cells that we use the pap to check for, and it can lead to cervical cancer. Everyone who has HPV does not get cervical cancer. It's just that when you look backwards from people that have cervical cancer, you typically find that they've had HPV for a long time that hasn't gone away. And so that's you why said, more, mm-hmm. mm, interesting. So HPV is not something that could be medically cured, but in a lot of us, I know we have a lot of good bacteria, bad bacteria. So you're saying that that pretty much fights it off by itself. Like HPV isn't something we'll have forever. Like explain a little bit more uh, the HPV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sometimes it will show up on your pap test. Like you go in, the virus is active, and and that's when your doctor may say, okay, you need to come back in a year to check on it, depending on the strain. There are different strains of HPV, too. Like it gets pretty complicated. But just follow the directions of your doctor. That's number one most important, or healthcare provider. But um, so depending on the strain of HPV, some are higher risk for cervical cancer than others. Some are more related to genital warts. So there's so it's it's the virus that um, there are different numbers which are the different strains and depending on which one you may be at higher risk for cervical cancer. There is no medicine like you said. Okay. So the body, you know, just having exercising, eating well, a good immune system that'll kind of clear the virus, if you will, make it dormant so it's not active and actively working or possibly changing your your cervical cells. 
What are some of the things that you find women to lie most about in terms of when they go on a doctor's visit? Um, and maybe not lie, but maybe the, the things that most women seem to not want to share with their healthcare provider. Uh, is there um, anything that you notice a trend of? Yeah, it's typically sexual partners. Um, it's the number one thing is lying about if they use protection. And I mm. always ask them, um, I try not to just say, you use condoms, right? Or, you know, that's a leading question. And now you're scared right. you're going to say yes, knowing it's no. And then if you come back with an infection, I know that was a lie. So okay. I typically say, do you use protection with your partners? Yes, no, or sometimes maybe. So th they already know that I'm not just looking for a always yes, always no. Like, I know there's an in-between. Feel free to tell me so that I know what to look for. So if you come in and you're like, well, I'm itchy or I have an odor, but you tell me you always use protection, I'm not going to be thinking possibly you have a sexually transmitted infection. I may say, okay, this could be yeast, this could be BV. Both of those are things that you don't need to be sexually active to get. But if you're Correct. honest and you tell me, then I'll know, all right, I need to check for gonorrhea. I need to check for chlamydia. I need to check for trichomonas. It just really helps you to get the proper testing, the most appropriate testing, so that you can get the best treatment quickly without wasting now, your time. Now, one of the interesting things that I would love to talk about now in this segment as well, um, again, you knowing or asking if they're using condoms, condoms may not be a thing at all for lesbians or same-sex mm -hmm. women, uh, mm -hmm. women that, you know, have sex with women. What right. type of what type of STDs um, do you see mostly transmitted between women, woman and woman contact? Um, or mm -hmm. is there, a, you know, is it orally? Is it is it uh, down in, in their box? What mm -hmm. type of STDs are most transferred between lesbians do you see? Mm -hmm. And I want to clarify when I ask about sex too, I always say, do you have sex with men, women, or both like that? Just to ah, so no one feels, okay. I don't go in assuming that you're a, a woman and you only have sex with, with men. Um, okay. To be whoever. So yes, uh, trichomonas is one of the most common uh, infections for men and women. But amongst women who have sex with women, trichomonas is pretty common. Um, and yeah, how, does they, that, how do you get that then? How um, is that transmitted? Exchange of the bodily fluid. So your discharge, oh. it's typically, yeah. Mm -hmm. So women that, you know, are sharing toys, usually that can lead to it if you don't clean toys after sexual activity or women that are, you know, scissoring or things like that. It can go from one place to the next. That's typically how that spreads. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking about that because I'm just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. I know that we've had a lot of uh, conversations on my other podcast, Horrible Decisions, regarding how much lesbians um, or women who engage with other women don't feel as susceptible to STDs right. because they're not dealing with men. And also, mm -hmm. it's one of those where, A, they get checked sometimes way less often, um, but also right. a lot of women aren't using dental dams. That's not yeah. an option. A lot of women aren't using finger condoms. I guess no. I do want to ask, where, where uh, are those things still recommended? Again, I know we don't do sex ed anymore, but are those things even still recommended um, for, for same-sex couples? So they are just because, you know, the likelihood of infection is still there. Like you, if, right. if one partner is infected, 
you can be infected. It's not 100% like anything. You can't like, nothing is absolute. So you may be able to have a sexual encounter and not contract that infection, but you it may be the first time that you do and then you do get the infection. Um, we just did a poll on our uh, Instagram actually and 99% of people said they do not use condoms for oral sex. They do not use dental dams for oral sex. So it's, we know people don't really use right. those things, <laughs> never seen a dental dam, do not use gloves for anything. Yet. Right. So it's, 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 it's a known fact, but it, is it recommended? Yeah. Do people take the risk? Of course they do. Okay. Let's get into again, more women's health. What else um, do you recommend for women? And at what age range? Let, let's actually break this down. Say we have an 18-year-old listening to this podcast. We have a 30-year-old listening to this podcast. And we have a 50-year-old listening to this podcast. Now, I think during these three times of your life, you could be experiencing different things in your bodies. I'm curious as to know, at 18, what are the things I should really be asking regarding my health to my to my healthcare provider at 30, what things should I, should I be concerned about um, different than 18? And also at 50, what things should I be asking my healthcare provider? Let's start at 18. I'm newly free, newly having sex out here in these streets. I don't know mm -hmm. shit about my body. I don't know shit about what it's supposed to really smell like taste. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm figuring it out. What right. are things that I should be asking when I'm going to my visits? So if you're sexually active, it's about signs and symptoms, what to look for if you're having unprotected sex. Um, you would be counseled on uh, the positives of protecting yourself, obviously. But if you say, I'm in a relationship, we don't use anything, then fine. Um, but you would still want to know what those signs and symptoms are. Um, mm -hmm. Girls who start their period a little bit on the later side of their teens may still be experiencing some issues with their period. So maybe they're heavy. Maybe they don't come frequently. Women that want to use something for contraception, a hormonal contraception, because they're not looking to get pregnant at 18. So right. they want to know about pills, or maybe they want to know about the injection, IUDs, like all the different types of contraception is usually what teenagers are, are there looking for, and STI testing. Um, as you go up into the 30s, then it's more maybe they're looking to get pregnant. Mm. Or maybe they are are pregnant, so we're seeing you for an obstetric visit. Or maybe they've, you know, had their kid and they want contraception now too. So that's a big thing. Fibroids that, usually it, come into. Mm -hmm. No, I know fibroids. I just wanted to ask mm -hmm. a question. Uh, is the contraception conversation different with an 18-year-old than it is a 30-year-old? It can be because 18-year-olds, um, they may say, you know, I want something that is easy to start and stop, like a pill. 30-year-old may say, I have two kids already. I can't remember to take a pill every day. So give me something I don't have to think about. I want something long-term. Okay. So they may want an IUD, something that's five years, something that's 10 years. If you're 18, you may be, maybe you don't want something that's going to prevent pregnancy for 10 years. Right. So it's usually more of a long-term thing for, for older women. Okay. And you did also mention, you said around your 30s, is when also fibroids becomes uh, in, in the conversation as well? Yeah. More of an issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then let's get into 50. So 50, um, some women are still having their period. 
Um, okay. Typically around 53 or so, most people have stopped. They're going into menopause. So it's more of a conversation on symptoms around menopause. My period mm. is getting wonky. It's coming less often. Usually the first period someone misses, they think they're pregnant. And it's like, okay, yep. well, you're 51. <laughs> I don't really think you're pregnant, but let's talk about menopause and what that means. You need to be missing a period for one full calendar year before you're considered in menopause. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you miss your period three months and you get it again, you start over counting from there. Mm-hmm. So menopause is... is only considered after you have not had a period for 12 calendar months and yes. is that Once is that the period. now is that the only symptom what if i'm also receiving hot flashes and a lot of the other symptoms that come Those with menopause mm-hmm. okay but Those are symptoms of menopause but you're not considered you know postmenopausal until your period is gone for one year Wow. See, I, I knew she was going to come in and drop some drop some facts that I did not know. <laughs> but some people could be in that phase of period coming, period going, hot flashes, sweating at night, cranky, mood swings, all of that. Some people can be in that little phase for years. It's really uncomfortable for some people. Yeah. And there's no way to really tell. But is there it, it anything to is there anything to speed that process up again? I know just from teenager years up through then, we all hate mm-hmm. PMS. It makes yeah. us cranky. We have cramps. It's not, mm-hmm. we feel bloated. It's not mm-hmm. a fun time for us. So I could, I can't imagine it, you know, being over 50 and right. going through where I think I'm hitting menopause and then I get, I get here come a period. So it's not here yet. <laughs> but you said all of those symptoms can happen over the course of years. Yeah. So for some people, they may, so there's like perimenopause, which is like, I'm, I'm the period, the hormones are changing, right? So I am experiencing these hot flashes. I am experiencing being cranky. I, I, I want to scream at everybody. I'm like all sorts of different things that are uncomfortable, but you could still be getting your period on and off. Maybe you skip a month, maybe you skip two months, you know, and there's really no way to call it and say, yep, I'm definitely getting my period this month. Nope. I'm not going to get my period this month. It kind of is just it's a free-for-all and it's it's it can be a doozy for a lot of women oh god if if you're listening to this and you're experiencing that (laughs) i am so sorry (laughs) that sounds awful i tell women like some things you can do to help with the symptoms try to reduce caffeine so if you drink a lot Mm -hmm. of coffee soda if you smoke you should stop smoking at least reduce it um sleep with a fan dress in layers so that you can remove them as needed because people do get hot flashes pretty quickly and they have like some herbal things you can check out like in the health food store i'm not totally all pharmacological medication so you can go to the (laughs) health food store they do have different herbs that'll help you um and different things that'll help like kind of balance out your hormones a little bit oh we definitely have to do an episode on on menopause so if you're listening and you are a woman experiencing menopause i would love to talk to you about um you know, your journey with that. I guess, again, before we get out of here, I do want to ask you being in this field now, I want to go through if you have any any stats that you found absolutely um, mind-boggling regarding Black women and health and maybe the things that we're more susceptible to. I know that fibroids is something that for sure is something that's very prominent in Black women. 
Do you see um, any any new evidence or any new research that suggests anything else uh, really affects the black the black woman? Um, fibroids are a big thing, like you said, like up to 80 percent of black women. I myself wow. have fibroids. I had them removed. So I did have fibroid removal surgery. It did improve my life. Um, but that's a big thing for women. Really big. Um, mental health is also big. And I know you, you did a yes. thing on that recently as well. And the fact that black women are not able to receive health care for that as as often mm. as they are white counterparts, um, either because of our own judgments about it or just the lack of availability so that's another big thing too um in addition to that in terms of pregnancy breastfeeding breastfeeding is a is a i think it's trying to to gain some traction in terms of women and black women breastfeeding but for a long time black women didn't really breastfeed but that has a really of a whole host of social and cultural things tied up in right. it. Also racism too. It really does. So that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. So I really do like to help black women who are interested in breastfeeding to do that because of all of the good things that it can do for newborn babies and help them preventing childhood asthma and diabetes, things like that. So breastfeeding and, and promotion of that for black women is a, is another big thing for me too. And I heard it makes you smarter. So, you know, go <laughs> ahead and feed your baby so they could be the next, you know, Tesla or the guy oh who does God. Amazon. He's like probably- we need more, we need more black people in those spaces. Geniuses. But no, I, geniuses. No, I did hear like- though that breastfeeding does make you smarter i don't know uh-huh. that could be like y'all know i just be looking shit up but also Anything. i was the only i was the only daughter that got breastfed so i used to you know oh, okay. use that again. Right. Use <laughs> i used that. to use it against my sisters like this why i'm so smart y'all uh <laughs> and that's um, nothing I, against formula formula feeding is fine too but you know well, I'm definitely going to make sure I put your information, not only in the description of this episode, mm-hmm. but if you guys follow at official box owner on Instagram, Alyssa will be tagged as well as the Jean Queens. So you guys can look up so many stats and information over on their page. Alyssa, before we get out of here, give some advice. I always like to leave off with some sort of tip and maybe, you know what? How about someone in the healthcare field? who may be a tech or an LPN or someone who also wants to maybe specialize further so that they can make an even bigger difference in the healthcare system. What bit of advice would you give to them in terms of going back to school or really finding their niche in the healthcare system? So I always tell people that going back to school is a good thing. It doesn't do anything but better you. Um, The time is going to pass anyway. So just enroll in school and get it done while you're doing whatever else it is life is throwing at you. Before you know it, you'll be graduated, you'll be done. And you won't be just sitting there like, oh, I should have done this last year. I'd be Mm. this far ahead. So get into school, um, get into your niche, find what you like. There's so many different specialties, so it doesn't have to be women's health. But I think that's why nursing is great because you could be doing dermatology you could be doing women's health you could be doing neurology cardiology it's a lot of different specialties and you can find one that you love i agree and also um look into what whatever healthcare um system that you're in a lot of them do do a reimbursement of your yes, classes tuition reimbursement, tu- tuition yes. reimbursement. So take advantage so, of that yes 
Absolutely. <laughs> you do have to, I believe, stay wherever you're at for a certain amount of time. After, um, yeah, it's a big a- After, but I think it's definitely worth it. And I know a lot of people do, you know, look into the financial burdens of mm-hmm. what school brings, but there right. are a lot of scholarships and opportunities a lot of time with the, with the company you, you may currently be working for. So yeah. Alyssa, can you go ahead and drop your handles, let people know where they can find you and what else you offer here on the World Wide Web? Okay. So you can find us at thevaginequeens.com. Um, the Vagine Queens is also the Instagram handles on Twitter as well. Um, you'll find a link to the ebook I wrote there about my healthy and happy vagina. That's all about yes. um, the healthy biome, BV, pHs, all sorts of goodies in there. That's on Amazon. Um, and then we do our little podcast typically once a week. You'll find that on Spotify and any of the major streaming services. That's the Virgin Queens as well. I love it. Alyssa, thank you so very much for joining thank us. And guys, stay tuned. Me. Yes, and stay tuned for some stats and facts after this. Thank you so much. And guys, we'll be back. Seriously, I learn more and more every time I do an episode here. And I hope that you guys do the same. Uh, Shout out to Alyssa with the Vagine Queens for joining us today. I did, of course, want to leave off with Five pap test facts women should know. The first one is that cervical cancer symptoms are vague. So the warning signs for cervical cancer, like abnormal vaginal bleeding and discharges, are vague. And many women mistake these symptoms for other common conditions. So your best chance to find and treat cervical cancer as early as possible is, of course, through regular paps. And like Alyssa said, if you get a normal pap smear, you really don't have to go back for another two years. You should look to be getting it every two to three years. Um, However, it's when your tests come back abnormal, you should, you know, ask, hey, do we need to do a follow-up sooner? What about it was abnormal? If not, just make sure you go the following year. Another thing that's important is that sexual activity does equal the need for a pap test. The The more sexually active that you and your partner are, like myself, the higher your chances of getting the HPV virus, of course. This virus does, like Alyssa said, cause most cervical cancers, and most sexually active women will be exposed to it at some point in their lives. Unfortunately, condom use does not provide 100% protection against HPV, so even if you are having sex that is protected, um, protected, you should definitely still get checked. Another thing, in terms of discussing vaccines, We have been talking about vaccines, of course, over the last year and a half due to the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. However, other vaccines are in discussion, one being the HPV vaccine. However, this is not a substitute for the pap test. So the HPV vaccine protects women from some types of cervical cancer. However, getting the vaccine does not mean that you should stop your regular pap test. Don't let the HPV vaccine give you a false sense of security, kind of again, like how we hear is going on with the COVID vaccine. Also, you can afford a pap test. If your healthcare insurance plan began after September 23rd of 2010, your pap test is covered. That means you don't have to make a copayment or meet your deductible if you use a network provider. The last one, you may not be too old for a pap test. If you're a sexually active woman age 65 or older, talk to your doctor about the pap test. While most women age 65 or older do not need a pap test, you may still need one if you've had treatment for a precancer 
or cancer in the past 20 years. So again, make sure you talk to your healthcare provider um, and schedule yours today. Again, it's never too late to go ahead and make sure you are at the top tippity shape and up to and up to date as well with your health. It's important, okay? We know that and we talk about it every week here on Period Sis. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you haven't yet, check out our website, officialboxowner.com. We have apple cider vinegar gummies, Bork acid suppositories, nice pouches for you to carry those in, and of course, sheet orgasms, which are sexual enhancement capsules that will assist you in having a good old time in the bedroom. Guys, make sure you follow us on our social media at oboxowner on Twitter and officialboxowner on Instagram. Thank you guys so much, and until next time, bye.